welcome back to another Beach Cop Detectives interview with the writers, cast, and crew of Terriers. This time out, we're talking to David Galdor, one of the editors on Terriers, who worked on the episodes Hail Mary, Quid Pro Quo, Pimp Daddy, Ring-a-Ding-Ding, and Change Partners, as well as doing some work on the pilot. In this interview, we talk about what the creative environment was like, how he got in the business, and what his job was on the show, among other things. Our audio quality on this one's a little rougher than usual. There's an echo effect on Caldor's end, but you get used to it as you listen, and we didn't want to lose the interview. We hope you'll forgive us our sound quality and enjoy this interview with David Caldor, one of the editors on Terriers. So I want to start with a question that I've asked almost everybody to start with, which is, can you tell me about your, your memories and your feelings about working on Terriers? Yeah, I mean, I had a great time. It was every interview I go on, I always mention is the best thing that I've ever worked on, probably ever will work on at this point, just because I think the nostalgia factor is cemented it in my memory as the best thing that I've ever done. It was just fantastic. We had a great crew. Everybody got along. There was no personality stuff. It was just a great job to work on. I noticed you came up through Mammoth stuff on State and Maine and Heist and then the unit. Is that how you met Sean Ryan? My dad owned a hardware store in a small town in Vermont called Cabot, and Mammoth had a summer house there. He went to college around there, and then I think he really liked it, so he bought a place out there. And he and my dad kind of became friends, and one day he said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm making this movie, you know, do you want to come out and be in my movie? And my dad was just kind of like, aha, that's, you know, very nice. And then he was like, no, no, I'm serious. And so he flew him out to Lake Tahoe for Things Change and, you know, like gave him like a couple lines or something. And then, you know, they continued with that uh, relationship and he actually was in, he was Steve Martin's bodyguard and Spanish prisoner. He's the cop in state and Maine. That's how I got started. So for the benefit of myself and my listeners, what is the job of an editor and how did you do that on Terriers? The job of an editor is to cut together all of the coverage. So they'll shoot a scene from a variety of different angles and the editor gets all the footage in and puts it together. So eventually when when shooting's over with, I'll have like a day or two to polish up my cut. And then I'll send it to the director. Typically, the director gets, uh, like, for a one-hour drama for Terriers, it would have been, like, four days to kind of make sure that everything's the way that they want it and finesse things. And then it goes to the producers, which would be, like, Ted, Sean, Tim and Ear. And then those guys would do a pass or several passes on it before it goes to the studio. And the studio usually have just a few notes. Then the, the network, same thing, and then we'd lock, and it would be ready to be mixed and color-corrected and then go to air. How long before it went to air did you guys usually lock an episode? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I know towards the end it got a little bit tight, and that Ted, he had such a feature background at that point that I don't... I've worked on features where you would be in the cutting room for, like, a year, mm-hmm. and obviously in TV it's more like, let's just, like, stamp them out. we got to get this stuff out of here so that we can get everybody a payroll. It's, there's just not the same budget on TV. So I think towards the end he maybe wanted to spend a little, little bit more time going back over stuff, and we just had to kind of push through and finish stuff up. One of the other things I noticed about Terriers was that I believe there was a different director on every episode. So you worked with five different directors. Was there a challenge to working with five different directors on different episodes? No, I mean, uh, the, the directors that I worked with, I was really lucky. I mean, Guy Perlin was, was episode 102, which was actually episode 3, which was Imaginary Cuckold. 
Uh, sorry, no, it, that was the old name. The The real name of it was... Uh, Change Partners. Yeah. So Guy was fantastic. I think he did a fantastic job. I was also on the pilot. I, I was an assistant on the pilot, and I did a little bit of cutting, but but that was really Greg Featherman's uh, episode. So I also got to meet Craig Reward, who started the whole thing off, and I think he just set like a, an awesome tone for the show. And I think at one point, John Landgraf had said, hey, you know, I get it. You're, you're like this uh, feature guy. You know, you're sort of like these artsy... I, I don't know what the exact conversation was, but... All I know is Landgraf said, hey, make sure when there's an emotional moment, I want to I want to have some close-ups to Brewer. And then I think, like, as a result, you get, like, these sort of, like, super tight but awesome close-ups. Change Partners, I think Guy did a really, really great job of, you know, repeating, coming back to those those super tight close-ups where you really get in, in Hank's uh, eyes and feel a lot of his emotion in a way that, that I think is... I don't know, it's, it's, it seems like it would be stilted if somebody told me about the, the close-ups, but then when you watch, I was just re-watching the episodes, and, and I think they're really, uh, really great. Yeah, that's a stylistic touch that goes throughout, and I think it, especially with Hank, who really can just sell sadness on his face, it is really effective when there's really deep emotional beats going on that you get those close-ups and you you sort of get in everybody's face and let that way. I think you're, I had not even noticed that being a stylistic thing, but yeah, it makes sense that that goes back to the first episode. Donald is the best actor I've ever cut. I mean, he's out of this world. He knows his lines. I mean, he's like super, he's brilliant. I don't understand how any lead in any TV series can just get through their days having to memorize pages and pages of dialogue every single day. I mean, they're, they're in every scene of any show. There's somebody who's in every scene of every, of any show that you, that's on TV and, and Donald does it and he, he doesn't even look like he's trying. And then he just does fantastic, fantastic things with his face that I don't, I don't know. He's just, he's just a fantastic actor in change partners at the end. I mean, that, that guitar thing, that was just, that was just him messing around, I think. I mean, maybe Guy or somebody else on set who was actually there will correct me on that one. But I think that was like kind of just him improving on the guitar, which I was just blown away. I'm still blown away by that. <laughs> I wanted to ask specific questions about Ring-A-Ding-Ding. Yes. So it opens with this montage of Hank... Britt and Katie all getting ready for Gretchen's engagement party. There's that great music by Burt Kampfert. I assume that you cut all that together? Yeah, I, first of all, I'd say, going back to Change Partners, I thought that the ending was, like, way too dark for the show. I thought, like, totally, we're, we're going off this ledge, we're never going to come back, and I was totally wrong. And then Ring-A-Ding-Ding, I thought, well, now we're doing, like, this silly thing to start the episode, and once again, I was completely wrong. And Ring-A-Ding-Ding, that was Billy Gearhart directed that episode, and uh, I thought that was... That was actually more Tim's episode, I think, than it was Sean or Ted's. I know you talked a little bit about that three-headed monster, but that that was like really one of the other special things about the show was just how Tim and and Ted and Sean developed this trust and cooperation, or I don't know what you would call it, but the way that that they all worked together was like kind of like cogs in a machine. It was sort of seamless. You know, normally if you have, like, three showrunners, you've got three different versions of the show. You know, like, famously, like, Ishtar had three different cuts going on all at the same time. Yeah. You know, Warren Beatty was with his editor, Dustin Hoffman was with his editor, and the director was with his editor. So, yeah, I thought Ring and Ding Ding was fantastic. The, the the opening, getting back to your actual question, I think that was all scripted, the way exactly the way that it played. Yeah, I'd like to take credit for it and say that I really created that masterpiece. I mean, I just watched it again this morning, I think it's, it's just... So great. But no, it was, that's just the way it was shot. That's the way it was scripted. And 
did you have the music before the montage or did you cut it together and then the music came in? I think Billy sent me the music. I think he was, or, or maybe it was Ted. Maybe Ted sent me the music. I mean, I didn't even get to pick the music on it. <laughs> <laughs> Ring-a-ding-ding is an episode that I think just, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites. And they go through this series of people looking for the ring. And you've got to get this right amount of you've, you've got to get them in there where they're they're memorable and they're fun and does that really well. But at the same time, you've got to keep the story moving. Was there a challenge to that, or is again is that sort of scripted where you're just like, okay, this much goes in and this doesn't? Well, Billy came in for his director's cut, and he was like, "Whoa, man!" He's like, "This is like a rocket ship." <laughs> so uh, that's just my my sensibility is to is to do exactly what you're saying. It's just like. Get get through as fast as we can. Like Mammy used to say on on the unit, if the actors don't think they're saying it too quickly, then they're not saying it quickly enough. And I kind of took that same mentality with this show because as much as I love the show, I think if you really melt things and lingered, that it would just slow everything down to too much of a crawl. And I think Ring Ding Ding kept the pace up, but then took time to to stop for those emotional beats as well, hopefully. You've edited quite a few shows at this point. What about Terriers sort of sticks out in your mind as, as being special or different? Well, well, you mentioned before the, the three-headed beast of Tim and Ted and Sean, and I think that's that's really was special. I think also, like I was saying before, how I'm always, I've been proven wrong by Ted so many times that I can't even tell you. I, I think it's, He's just really a special, brilliant guy that just operates on this level very few people operate on. There's so many times when I think something's ridiculous, that, and I'll try it anyway, and anybody else, it would just fall flat on his face. But with Ted, he can, he can envision things that, that nobody else can, I, I think. And obviously, Donald and uh, Michael had such amazing chemistry. There was just, everybody was great in the cast. Everybody always looked forward to, to reading the new scripts. We all look forward to like seeing the new episodes. We all want to see everybody else's episode. We all love the show. Somebody told me once that they had heard that I worked with Mamet and they were had worked on uh, the movie Hoffa. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, yeah, you know, when I was working on Hoffa, we were all figuring out where we were going to rent our tuxes from or we were going to buy them because we were going to be doing like the awards show circuit. Mm-hmm. And I think naively that's kind of what I – that's where my head was at <laughs> when we were on the show. I feel like it's still going to get its recognition as a uh, underrated gem. Alan Seppmull's new book, TV The Book, came out. It made the top 100. So, you know, uh, wow. it's, it snuck in there at least. I'm not surprised with Alan writing it, but I was glad to see it in there. I, and I'm hoping that with the podcast, we're going to get bring a little more attention to a show that I think everybody who's ever watched it has talked about how much they loved it. And it just maybe was ahead of its time. Last question. Do you have any specific moments or challenges you remember from the other episodes you edited? You know, the last, the very last scene of the last episode, I think, was the most challenging, just in terms of getting that exactly perfect. Ted directed that episode, and he spent we spent a lot of time in the editing room just working on trying different performances, trying different takes, just trying to make that perfect. And, and I think that we succeeded. I, like I said, I rewatched that scene again, and it's just the perfect bookend, I think, to the, to the series. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today. It's, it's really great to be hearing from everybody who worked on the show, and everybody seems to have just loved their time there. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody did. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tyann. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash paultyann. 
Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at the TVDudes.com. Thanks for listening.